You've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and supporting the Black Man with the Gun Show. Episode number 516 talks about Italian immigrants, lynching, the mafia, prohibition, National Firearms Act, conversation with Tony Simon, and Michael J. Woodland on the American Gunsmithing Institute course. Welcome, and thanks for listening to the podcast of BlackManWithTheGun.com. This is the Conscientious Weekly Podcast that talks about firearms and things of interest to the gun community. Don't let the name scare you. This is the pro-fun, pro-gun show with history, commentary, news, interviews from all over America. Hi, my name is Ken Blanchard and I've been a gun rights activist since 1991. And you just discovered the show with over 1.7 million downloads with celebrity guests, new products, and good people making a difference. After John Wayne leads us in the Pledge of Allegiance, let's get this party started. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hey, I want to thank you for joining me this week. This show has been sponsored for a good little bit of time by CrossbreedHolsters.com. Crossbreed Holsters out of Missouri, a family organization, my family. CrossbreedHolsters.com. Check them out when you get a chance. And thankfully, I am also sponsored by members of the audience. People just like you who believe in me and have been helping me at patreon.com forward slash black man with a gun. You know, sponsorship in this arena, in this medium is tough as written in my post about how to make podcast money on the uh, gun podcast network site. It's tough. Sponsors come and go. But when you got people who believe in you, then you can do good things. And that's definitely the case for the folks at patreon.com forward slash black man with a gun. If you want to be a supporter, we'd be much appreciated. This show is packed full of stuff. I mean, I, I just got carried away and I had to stop myself a couple times. So it might be a little longer than usual, but I'm hoping that you like what you hear. The website's blowing up right now. I have no idea what happened. What's the uh, solar flares or the what blessing is coming down. But uh, man, I'm telling you, even the app, that you can find at blackmanwithagun.org is doing so well that the developer contacted me. She's going to do uh, an update and put it on Android here shortly, which is going to cost me something, and I don't have any extra cash at the moment. Up until this week, the only exercise I've done this month is running out of money. Life is funny like that. As soon as you get your head together, your body falls apart. My email is blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Please send me a note and say hi. Check me out on Facebook. There is a whole bunch of Facebook pages that I work on. You know, you don't have to be crazy to be my friend. I'll train you. All right, let's get on with the show. Sun Tzu says, the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. 
Some people call it diplomacy. Somebody I love and who takes care of me once told me, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. As I travel along this journey that I'm on, I like to think that I am a communicator, kind of like Lieutenant Uhura from the old Star Trek movies. You know, her name in Swahili means freedom. She was a communications officer. Communications is a big deal. If you can communicate, you can eat well, you can sleep at peace, and you can get the big piece of chicken at dinner. But communication and the media are two separate things. The media has both positive and negative influences on us. The media can make a person more aware of what's happening on a local, national, and even global level, or can warp you, your perspective, and steal the truth from you. The media has the capacity to ruin society by encouraging false ideas, praising selfishness, and making a profession of fame, fortune, and real qualifications that would be considered a valuable person. In, in short, the media can lie to you. The media can manipulate you and change you. A lot of what I do here on the podcast is try to give you some historic, historical facts, some truths, and allow you to grow on your own. Now, I'm talking about media and communications and diplomacy because in the last couple of weeks, I've been having a really good time bringing together all of American history, black history, Italian history, Irish history, in short, American history. But I'm not doing it to offend. I'm doing it to enlighten you, to enrich you, to give you the tools to do better. The media influences us by sharing news with an opinionated perspective. A lot of groups right now, a lot of groups that are starting have um, getting some momentum. So what the media does is it will pull apart one person and try to pitch you against somebody else. You must be very wary of that. I'm going to repeat myself. What the media will do right now is jump on the bandwagon. They will see that you have some momentum with whatever you're doing positively and try to persuade you to attack somebody else. I've heard it quite often in the last couple of weeks. With the rise of the African-American gun owner, is it because of President Trump? You walk right into it. Is it because of the crime in your area? Do you still beat your wife? The questions that are posed set you up for failure. Now, you got two choices. You can walk right into it. You can answer it. You can help their cause and diminish your own. Or you can shut up. But I give you a third choice. Take the opportunity to speak truth to power. Take the opportunity to say something that you already have prepared that will further your agenda, not theirs. If they really want to use what you say, they have to use it unedited. But you have to have your stuff down. Unfortunately, not everybody is like me. Unfortunately, not everybody is trying to help out their brother and their sister. There are groups that are actually trying to win over other people and pit folks against each other so they can grow. Happens all the time. There are websites and blogs, tons of people, snarky stuff, stuff you say sarcastically to put somebody else down so that you can stand on their back. That's just where we are today. 
Not here, though. I have come to realize that my success won't be monetary. My success won't be in, I don't know, whatever people think is successful. But I do know that those who hear what I'm saying will be better people for it. The personal perspectives of the reporter, for example, influences the stories that they cover and the personal spins they interject into stories. You got to be careful of that. All the social media that we have allows all that to reach larger audiences. So you can be global in a heartbeat. Wrong, even faster. Don't let your mouth write a check that your backside can't cash. I've been involved in the gun rights movement since 1991. Prior to that, I was just trying to make money as a firearms instructor, a trainer. I've learned a lot of stuff since then, and I plan to keep on sharing it until I wrap up this show. You know, I recognize that I'm not the shiny bulb anymore. I'm not, the, I'm not the cool kid on the block. I had my turn, I guess. But I see I'm still the validator. I still get asked by somebody, at least weekly, about this person or that person or this group or that person. Do I know of them? And of course, I say yes. I make it my business to be the ambassador, the, dip- the diplomat, the person that reaches out to every group, good, bad, or indifferent, to help them get over the hump, to help them, the hurdles and the negatives and the stereotypes and the people trying to overcome and take from them. The least I can do is protect those who come after me as long as I can. But please, please, please don't count the old boy out yet. I am still a Jedi master. I've done stuff that you do in practice. The scenarios you create in training, I did it in real life. And most of the time I screwed up. But I'm still here. You know, it's not pretty when you do it the first time. Never is. The really funky thing is, nobody really cares about your opinion. They don't care what you went through. You're old. But I digress. Last couple of weeks we've been talking about immigrants and the laws and gun control. We start with the Irish immigrants right around St. Patrick's Day and how it, they became into power after that through the police and the fire department and then in politics. Pretty much following suit, just like the Hispanic, the Cuban immigrants happened in Miami after they were kicked out of Cuba, Castro's Cuba. And then later their descendants became politicians and lawyers. Every group goes through something. Going to touch on the Italians this week. More than 90% of the Italian immigrants settled in about 11 states here in America. New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, California, Connecticut, Illinois, Ohio, Michigan, Missouri, and Louisiana. Between around 1880 and 1924, more than 4 million Italian immigrants came to the U.S., half of them between the 10 years of 1900 and 1910. The majority fleeing, grinding rural poverty in southern Italy and Sicily. Today, Americans of Italian ancestry are the nation's fifth largest ethnic group. Did you know that the largest mass lynching in U.S. history took place in New Orleans in 1891? And it wasn't even black people who were lynched. It was the Italians. 
After nine Italians were tried and found not guilty of murdering New Orleans Police Chief David Hennessy, a mob dragged him from the jail, along with two other Italians being held on unrelated charges and lynched them all. The lynchings were followed by mass arrests of Italian immigrants throughout New Orleans and waves of attacks against Italians nationwide. Most of the lynchings were by hanging or shooting or both. But while I'm talking about lynchings, let me tell you about what happened to the Africans that came here, the black people. They were burned at the stake. They were maimed. They were dismembered. They were castrated and tortured. Lynching, therefore, was a cruel combination of racism and sadism, which were utilized primarily to sustain the caste system in the South. Many white people believed that Negroes could only be controlled by fear. To them, lynching was seen as the most effective means of doing that. There are three major sources of lynching statistics, if you ever want to talk about it. Get down into the nitty-gritty. The statistics were basically primarily on newspaper reports back in the day. And because the South was so large and rural districts had always been in close contact with the city newspapers, it's certain that many lynchings escaped publicity of the press. So there's a lot of errors to the actual statistics. The Chicago Tribune first began to take a systematic account of them. Then after that, in 1892, the Tuskegee Institute began to make a systematic collection and tabulation of lynching statistics. Beginning in 1912, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People kept an independent record of these horrific crimes. Between the years of 1882 and 1951, 4,730 people were lynched in the U.S., 3,437 Negro and 1,293 White. One of the things that bugs me is that when younger people talk about lynching without knowing history. Labor struggles were not the only conflicts that immigrants, at this point, Italian immigrants faced. During the years of the great Italian immigration, there was also huge prejudice and national hostility. But my black brothers and sisters say, man, but they're white people. Yeah, this is America. As immigration from Europe and Asia neared its crest in the late 19th century, anti-immigrant sentiment soared along with it. The U.S. was in the grips of an economic depression, and immigrants were blamed for taking American jobs. At the same time, racialist theories circulated in the press, media, advancing pseudo-scientific theories that the alleged that Mediterranean types were inherently inferior to people of Northern European heritage, drawings and songs caricaturing the new immigrants as childlike, criminal, or subhuman became commonplace. One 1891 cartoon claimed, if immigration was properly restricted, you would never be troubled with anarchism, socialism, the mafia, and such kindred evils. Never heard about a thing in New Orleans before, did you? No. Catholic churches and charities were vandalized and burned back then. In 1890 alone, more than 20 Italians were lynched. The crowd was huge that pulled them guys out. Anti-immigrant sentiment continued into the 1920s when severe restrictions on immigrations were put into place by the U.S. Congress. When this legislation passed, the great era of Italian immigration came to an end. Stereotypically, Italians were believed to be only capable of organized crime as they could not possibly amass a fortune legitimately. Italy was considered to be a land of lawlessness and anarchy ruled by gang lords of the black hand. From this perception, the wealthy were labeled too, but were known as mafioso or cosa nostras. Mafia actually stands for Mothers and Fathers Italian Association. But what does that have to do with guns, Ken? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
See, around this time also was the National Firearms Act, commonly known as NFA. It's the federal law governing the ownership of firearms such as silencers, short-barreled rifles, short-barreled shotguns, destructive devices, machine guns, and any other weapons. A-O-W. And it's like the catch-all for common firearms. The 1934 Act was the Roosevelt administration's response to what they thought was the rapid mafia violence associated with prohibition. Remember that? Prohibition? Movies were made. James Cagney. All those guys. Humphrey Bogart. That was an era, too, of film. The act was designed as a confiscatory tax on weapons commonly used by the mafia, specifically short-barreled long guns and machine guns. This transfer tax, set in 1934 at $200, was several times the cost of even the most expensive machine gun of the day. Some years later, that transfer tax remains the same. Let me go back to this lynching of Sicilians. Teddy Roosevelt, who not yet was president, famously said that that lynching in New Orleans was, quote, a rather good thing. And the response in the New York Times was worse. On March 16, 1891, editorial referred to the victims of the lynchings as, quote, sneaking and cowardly Sicilians, the descendants of bandits and assassins. John Parker, who helped organize the lynch mob, later went on to be governor of Louisiana. In 1911, he said that of Italians that they were just a little worse than the Negro, being, if anything else, filthier in their habits, lawless and treacherous, treacherousness. So I'm giving you all this history mixed in with prohibition and NFA about immigration. In addition to prejudice against their ethnicity, Italian immigrants also had to face an older hostility toward their religion. Doesn't all this stuff sound a little familiar? In the earlier centuries, Catholics in America were in positions similar to today's Muslims. In 1785, when the Catholics proposed building St. Peter's Church in the heart of Manhattan, city officials, fearing the papacy and the sinister foreign influences, forced them to relocate outside the city limits. On December 24, 1806, two decades after St. Peter's was built on Church Street, where it still stands, protesters surrounded the church, outraged by mysterious ceremonies going on inside. Ceremonies we now commonly understand to be celebrations of Christmas. The Christmas Eve 1806 protest led to a riot in which dozens were injured and a policeman was killed. Wow. The decades go by. They turn into centuries and we forget our history. We're just as crazy now as we were then. Let's talk about some booze, man. The Prohibition era. It lasted from 1920 to 1933 and it was an attempt to legislate morality. It took a constitutional amendment to enact it and another one to repeal it. The attempt to decrease the, quote, evils of alcohol actually created more and new types of crime. Temperance movements had swept through portions of the U.S. throughout the 19th century, but it was World War I that provided the first opportunity for the anti-alcohol movement to enact a national ban on alcohol. Anti-alcohol sentiments in Congress led to legislation known as the Lever Food and Fuel Control Act of 1917, which regulated fuel, food, and other commodities that might be needed for the war effort. It was argued that the grains needed to distill alcohol were needed as food and were in short supply because of the needs of the war. Is that some straight bull or what? This effectively shut down the country's breweries and distilleries temporarily. And the permanent ban on the sale, transportation, importation, and exportation of alcoholic beverages was enacted by passage of the 18th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution by Congress in December 1917. 
It just took over one year for the amendment to be ratified by the states. Prior to the national ban, individual states had passed local bans, and by 1916, 26 of the 48 states banned alcohol. Proponents of the so-called noble experiment claimed that the nation's health would improve dramatically without alcohol and that crime would stop. What? Yeah. It was also claimed that other industries like dairy would prosper as other types of beverages increased in popularity to fill the void left by the absence of alcohol. Juvenile delinquency was supposed to be virtually eliminated and the average worker's productivity was also supposed to increase, leading to an increase in economic prosperity for the country of America. Yeah. But by the time of the repeal of the 18th Amendment in 1933, it was obvious that the measure was a complete failure. Instead of promoting the nation's health and hygiene, the opposite was true, as illegal manufacture of alcohol filled part of the void, and those illegal products were also dangerous or much higher in alcohol content than the beer, wines, and spirits they replaced. Crime also increased, since illegal activity was required to market the illegal alcohol. Criminal activity became organized and led to the rise of the powerful crime syndicates that used murder and bribery of public officials, even law enforcement officers, to move large quantities of illegal substance. Drug use increased, with drugs taking the place of alcohol. Worker productivity did not increase. Jails filled with people convicted of relatively minor infractions of the alcohol ban. Enforcement of the ban cost millions of dollars. As a result of the legalization of alcohol, crime was actually reduced and many new jobs were created as the liquor industry expanded. And this was especially important in the Depression years that began with the stock market crash in 1929 and lasted into the late 1930s. So you got all this happening with the Depression, racism, lynching, immigration. What was the impetus for this National Firearms Act of 1934? Well, I just told you all that crazy stuff that was going on, but it was also the gangland crime of the Prohibition era. I keep saying area in this era. We'll get it together someday. Well, remember history? 1929, stock market crash, also had the St. Valentine's Day massacre and the attempted assassination of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1933. Like the current National Firearms Act, the 1934 Act required NFA firearms to be registered in tax. This $200 tax was quite prohibitive at the time. It's equivalent to $3,500 now. With a few exceptions, the tax amount has been unchanged. Originally, pistols and revolvers were to be regulated as strictly as machine guns. Towards that end, cutting down a rifle or shotgun to circumvent the handgun restrictions by making a concealable weapon was taxed as strictly as a machine gun. Conventional pistols and revolvers were ultimately excluded from the act before the passage, but other concealable weapons were not. Regarding the definition of a firearm, the language of the statute as originally enacted was as follows. The term firearm meant a shotgun or rifle having a barrel of less than 18 inches in length, or any other weapon, AOW, except a pistol or revolver for which a shot is discharged by an explosive if such weapon is capable of being concealed on the person or a machine gun and includes a muffler or silencer for any firearm, whether or not such firearm is included within the foregoing definition. Under the original act, NFA weapons were machine guns, short-barreled rifles, SBRs, short-barreled shotguns, SBSs, and of course the AOW, or concealable weapons of any other pistol or revolver. And part of our myth and part of our heritage and part of our Stuff comes from Hollywood and from our crime history. 
the guy by the name of Alphonse Gabriel Al Capone, the most powerful leader of that Chicago family, was uh, one of the five families of New York City on the commission that governs the Italian mob in America. He's the one who started this whole thing. The fear started pretty much from there. The roots go back to 1900s when the influx of Italian immigrants went to Chicago. Street gangs, some of them with Italian backgrounds, controlled various criminal activities. Again, prohibition and all of that. That black hand scheme imported from Italy. It involved threatening residents with violence as money was paid. Extortion letters were stamped with a hand in ink, hence the name. Many black hands worked independently, but some joined forces forming an organized crime syndicate. During this prohibition era, you had people like Giacomo, also known as Big Jim, Colissimo, who ran hundreds of brothels, had solidified power over large portions of the underworld during this era. And his nephew, Giovanni, Papa Johnny Torrio, 1919, introduced a new face, Alphonse Scarface Capone. And maybe you know the history of that, that the federal government joined the effort in prosecuting Capone for tax evasion. He went to prison and his criminal enterprise suffered along with him, but he didn't die. In fact, it soon bounced back and began to spread its wings. After Capone left in 1932, control of the outfit passed on to Frank the Enforcer Needy, a former bodyguard who had risen to become the leader's uh, king of the bootlegging operation. And when Prohibition ended in 1933, the syndicate was forced to do other things, such as prostitution, labor racketeering, and gambling. Under Needy and Ricky, Arica, it began to expand to Wisconsin, Missouri, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas, where it eventually took over control of legal casinos from the five families. And I'll stop our history here because I'm starting to go all over the place. It's just uh, there's so many avenues and strings this thing goes into. But the Italian immigrants, the NFA, lynching, the connection between African-Americans, Italians, and Irish. They're huge in America. Our common thread? Gun control. One of the things I'm going to touch on, maybe a little later on, is Chicago land and the political machine there, the dailies, and all that stuff that happened in Chicago, Illinois. One of the best people I've met, best group of folks who are fighting for the right to keep and bear arms, is the Illinois State and Rifle Association. Every spring, right around April, they have a thing they called I Gold. And this year, the I Gold celebration, where they actually march on the Capitol and talk to legislators and show who the gun owners are in the state of Illinois, outside of the gangbangers and the criminals, the honest people. This year will be April 5th, 2017, I do believe. You can find out more information at isra.org. Illinois State and Rifle Association. My friends are there. Check them out when you get a chance. I Gold 2017 this year. April 5th, 2017. I got a history with Illinois. I've done some stuff in the state. I've been on the radio. I've, man, I could just go on and on. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Next up is a guy by the name of Tony Simon, who says the second is for everyone. Tony Simon, welcome to the show, brother. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show, sir. 
man, it is good. I've, I've watched you in the last few years um, talking to, like you said, the same people that I've talked to and um, watching you grow, watching you see how this thing works on the Second Amendment. Yeah, it's been it's been a long ride uh, with a bunch of good people that I've met along the way. What do you do um, mostly? What's your main focus? Main focus with the second is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Actually, pulling people together. Um, my main focus is to pull just all people from all backgrounds together, including the Second Amendment groups that really don't get out. They end up speaking, you know, preaching to the choir. So I try to bring new people and those groups together and you get to see them and ask them questions instead of talking on Facebook about what does the Second Amendment group do for the average gun owner. I'm like, well, there's the guy over there who runs the group. Go ask him. What does he do? And um, that shuts down some people and you actually get to meet the leaders of these groups and they they can actually speak to you and tell you what the Second Amendment is about in, well, in my case, in the state of New Jersey. Um, and what they'll do to help you out and how you can help them achieve their goal and about your responsibility as a gun owner and a voter. I mean, my thing is to bring all that together with fun, food and shooting guns. I mean, I mean what we all enjoy. Yeah. I don't like politics. I, I don't you. like politics. I like hanging out. And that's what I try to turn this into just a really cool social hangout where you can fellowship with your fellow firearms owner. And even if you're not a firearms owner, never touched a gun in your life, but want to check it out. I want to make this comfortable for you. Nice. And so let's back it up. What's it called? What's the, the official name is the second is for everyone. And the events I host are called diversity shoots. I got the dot com diversity shoot.com because it's easier for people to remember long name. But um, I'm on Facebook as The Second Is For Everyone, and you can go to diversityshoot.com and check us out. But that's it in a nutshell. Right now, I know we know some of the same people, and one of those people is uh, Anthony Calandro at Gun For Hire. Uh-huh. And Anthony was my NRA instructor, uh, the, T- the TC training counselor. Uh-huh. And one day, uh, me and my friend Sean Fisher <laughs> were sitting around talking about Second Amendment groups. And why there aren't a bunch of minorities there. Well, actually, let me back it up a little bit. Um, (laughs) Let me explain something to people that are listening that don't know about New Jersey and how hard it is to actually purchase a firearm in this state. I got out of the Marine Corps in 1993 and moved to New Jersey. I was into firearms, but not that into firearms. I mean, I grew up around them. I went to a gun store to check some stuff out, and I found out I couldn't even touch a firearm in a gun store, regardless of what federal law is, that I could buy a long arm in any state. I couldn't even touch one in New Jersey because I didn't have what they call a firearms ID card. When I looked into what it took, it takes, uh, legally it's supposed to take 30 days, it can take anywhere from six months to a year, and you need two different references, references that aren't related to you to write the police department a letter saying that you should own a firearm. That's what it takes. And then they have to approve that. So I had a 20-year gap in between me owning firearms in Virginia, where I'm from, and me purchasing my first one here in New Jersey. Wow. Right as I got firearms ID card, right as I got my firearms ID card, Sandy Hook happened. So I was all geeked up because I had my new, you know, permission from the state to own a gun. And, uh, I realized even though I was a United States Marine shooting as a perishable skill, 
I went to the range and I really stank the place up because I couldn't hit anything really compared to, to what I used to do. And uh, my friend Sean again stepped in. He became an NRA, NRA certified instructor. And I went to one of his classes and I could shoot again. So I was really geeked up. And then the legislator, legislators in New Jersey started trying to pass crazy laws here. Uh, Ten round magazine limitations. Uh, smart gun thing came up again. And they really tried to push it, and I decided to get politically active after listening to you, you and seeing the work you've done and a couple of more people. I decided to get on it and um, started testifying, started writing letters, uh, putting them on my Facebook page, just open letters. Anybody who wants to use this format, and you can send this very letter to your legislator. And I went and testified down in Trenton in one of their committees and I looked and the politicians were already divided along political lines. They had three Republicans in the room that were paying attention and like 10 Democrats that were playing games on their phone. And that ticked me off because it was 200 pro gun people there. Yeah. And every time we spoke, they ignored us. They had 11 antis um, and three of them or four of them were from Bloomberg inspired groups. Mm-hmm. And then it was some of the same old, same old. And then I looked around and realized I was the only black pro-gun person in the room. And I'm like, what's up with that? There mm-hmm. are a lot of people of color at the range. Yeah. Why aren't we here? Yeah. <clears throat> so um, I left that day really disgusted with the whole political process. And um, I was talking to my boy, Sean, and I was like, why, why aren't there any brothers there? Why aren't there any Hispanics here? I was like, maybe I'll call some of these groups up that I was a member of, New Jersey Second Amendment Society. I called up the president of that, which at the time was Frank Fiamingo. Uh-huh. And I'm like, hey, Frank, this is Tony. How you doing? We had a relationship. I'd gone to protest and things with him, and we'd spoken on Facebook. And then by that time, we'd actually spoken in person when I made the phone call. And I was like, Frank, can we have an event to actually get African Americans to come out you know, to the range and be part of the process? And he was like, well, how do we do that? And I'm like, you're the president of the group, dude. (laughs) I'm like, I'm just a guy. And he was like, well, if you can come up with any ideas, let me know. And I was like, all right, cool. I called another group up and the same answer. So I'm talking to my friend Sean and he was like, well, why don't you start something? I'm like, I'm just a normal dude. I can't start anything. Well, he, He said, who do you think everyone else is? I was like, well, what do I do? He said, call Anthony. Tell him you want to put something together. So I called Anthony Calandro at Gun for Hire, and he was like, yeah. Oh, and it was funny. This was February 1st, 2014. Okay. And, um, yeah, 2014. This was February 1st. By February 9th, we had our first event. That's how quick Anthony was on that. Mm-hmm. We, promoted, we promoted it through Facebook, and a week later, we had an event, and it was me, Sean, and four brothers that came that Sean knew. <laughs> all from Newark, uh, Jersey City, and New York City. But they'd never, uh, one had like fired a gun once, and a couple had just never shot a gun but wanted to check it out. So we just had a little meeting, talked about safety, talked about firearms, talked about legislation, and what you could do. I got um, a couple of them to fill out paperwork for fire, firearms ID cards, and we went out and and shot and had a good time and took a bunch of photos. And that was my first event. And I've been having them every two months, pretty much ever since. Oh, nice. 
How far are you from the Associated Gun Club of New Jersey? Oh, and JRPC? Uh-huh. Uh, from their main range in Cherry Ridge, I'm a while, but I've gone up there and actually volunteered doing one of their shoots last year after the New Jersey uh, Second Amendment Educational Conference. Oh, okay. So they're, they're a bunch of good people. I talked to the president of that and also, and really good people, and they're willing to help out. I've been lucky. I'm able to put these events on um, with the help of a lot of people uh, from different groups. Different companies have stepped up, like Springfield Armory, you know, on a national level, CZ USA, uh, Ruger, and then regular small businesses like my friend Sean from uh, BlackBagResources.com. I mean, you know, just local guys who go, yeah, here, here is like $150 worth of stuff to give away to people. Um, and... I just know it's not just me. It's a lot of people who want this to work and want people to feel welcome regardless of your color, your sexuality, your financial status. We want you to come out and be part of the Second Amendment family and community. Yeah. So. Did you know that right around 1994 at that range up in New Jersey in Cherry Ridge, there was the minority day at the range and they had about 100 people. Um, but there were Sikhs, there was Puerto Ricans, there was blacks, there was Jewish people. There was it looked like the United Nations of gun rights. It was the the biggest um, event I've ever seen, the most diverse ever done on behalf of the 10th Cavalry Gun Club. There was a chapter that was there and they, they ran the range and it was outstanding. Wow. Yeah. I wish I would have known about it because I was in New Jersey at that time. That would have been awesome. <laughs> um. Actually, I know some of the members of the 10th Calvary, Calvary Gun Club, I think. Uh, Courtney and Ron Brown down in Maryland. I don't know if you know them from uh, IOTA Training Group. Yeah, yeah, I know them. The uh, Okay. But I'm talking about the group that was in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, no, I never met anyone from New Jersey in that group. I'd heard about it before that it was here but I didn't know anything about them. Yeah, they had the, the most diverse group. They were the most successful that I've ever seen. I remember when I drove all the way up there and I got to the parking lot and it was packed and it was this guy. He said, uh, hey, welcome to our uh, Minority Day shoot. Um, can I help you? And I was like, yeah, I'm here to see Percy Bennett and I'm about to try to remember some of the other names. And mm-hmm. um, they're like, oh, okay, do you know anything about the 10th Cavalry? And I, I just smiled. I said, yeah, I kind of started it. <laughs> nice. and they're like oh you must be the speaker and i was like yeah so it, that was like the beginning of that day but to see that parking lot full of cars and then to get into this room and it was it was the most diverse thing of shoes i've ever seen it was it was so nice and it happened maybe twice after that but never as good as that first day wow that's awesome yeah so you got some you got somebody who's broke the ice it's happened before in your state, so you can do it again, man. That's all I'm saying. You can do it again. Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't go. Uh, I'm the first one to do something like this, man. I know I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, guys who've been there before and trying to make this thing work. I don't know how long I'll be around, but I know I'm going to push it as long as I am around. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So what what do you need right now? What do you need to make it make what you're doing better? Well, what I need right now to make what I'm doing better is um, 
<laughs> actually funds. Um, I, I'm actually on Amazon right now trying to order some stuff for giveaways. What I do is everyone that comes to one of these events, I give them a swag bag with like a catalog or two from different companies, um, swag, stickers, things like that. And then I have raffles where I give away things like knives and uh, magazines for AR-15s and about $100 worth in every bag. So what I ask for is volunteers, you know, small businesses, pro 2A businesses to send stuff to us. You can go to diversityshoot.com or, and um, I have my information up there. And donations. I'm not a charity yet, but that's what I'm going to do this year. Actually, starting next month, I got some help from the local charities here. They're going to help me set up a 5013C in New Jersey. So I'm making steps in the legit um, charitable organizations because I spent three years doing this as a hobby. Oh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, I did my taxes earlier this year, and I was like, can I write anything off? And the lady looked at me and said, honey, this is a hobby. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Way back in the day, man, I, I was so gung-ho on this thing. I was so nuts and passionate that I bankrupted my family, thinking that I was going to save the Second Amendment for black people. And I got some, I got some, I got some nightmare stories, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I've been following. I've been following you for years, man, and I've 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 listened to a lot of your stories, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, I have to. What I started off, and and thanks to Anthony again because he made it so anyone who wanted to could actually come to this event for ten dollars for the range time. That was it. Free gun rentals, um, and all of the attendees that show up, you know, allow people to use their firearms. We have NRA trained instructors and nra range safety officers there to make sure everything is safe yeah but i mean he reduced the price to 10 bucks yeah anthony's a boss man that dude is all right i love that guy man he's really done a lot um but i never asked for any money you know what i mean any any money i got from a raffle or anything like that i rolled back into the next event plus some buying pizzas buying you know prizes stuff like that and after three years, I'm like, I cannot keep this up all the time. I, I mean, I need help from the community to make this happen. And uh, one of the things is go ahead and become a charitable organization. But that also entails involving the government and everything that entails. <laughs> it it kind of takes some of the fun out of having um, a get yes, together where yes, it's it just does. people. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Oh, so but I'm not looking forward to that but I'm looking forward to being able to do this for a long time. Well, that's good, man. Just just pace yourself um, and, and, and keep your faith. You're doing good. You're doing good, bro. Thank you, sir. I really feel, I mean, really, I, it is an honor to speak to you. I don't know if I come, I'm coming off as a fanboy, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good. Um, what's your next event? Next event, April 6th. That's my next event. It's coming up at Gun for Higher Range at 6 p.m. Uh, it's in Woodland Park, New Jersey, which is right next to Patterson. Um, if you guys want to check it out, go to gunforhire.com and look at that beautiful million-dollar range Anthony has there. We have the entire 50-yard uh, range to ourselves at the event, plus like 200 rental guns you can shoot, plus whatever we bring. <laughs> I even had my uh, 357 686 four inch barrel <clears throat> sent out to what is it called? Uh, Patriot Gun Polishing down in Florida. The guy 
shine this gun up to a mirror shine and it's there for everybody to shoot because it's so pretty i saw it on facebook man that was nice <laughs> yeah he's a actual former marine also or right. whatever you want to call us yeah um reached out spoke to him um told him what i was doing sent it out he did some work on it which was really cool and you know reasonable price so if anybody want to check him out there's another brother that's just making it happen and is, is pro second amendment Right, and that's what I want to do. You know how it is. You, you've owned guns for a while, and you've probably made some, well, bad decisions with what, what you've bought. Maybe oh, yeah. some horrible equipment. And that's yep, why yep. I also reach out to these companies. I'm like, you make good stuff. Can you please introduce new shooters to good stuff? <laughs> I know, because we start off with the, like, the, the cheap holsters and all the bad uh-huh. junk. <laughs> and it's like, you learn, but it's like, man, I wish I would have known this earlier. Why didn't somebody tell me? <laughs> but most of us all have a box of stuff that we don't like. We just don't talk about it. You mean that box of shame that everybody has in the back of their gun closet? Yeah, yeah, it's in there. <laughs> there's bad firearms in there. There's bad holsters in there. There's there's mm. stuff. There's gimmicks that we thought was going to be cool. <laughs> I still want to name some stuff, but not. <laughs> I know, right? Hurt somebody's just... feelings. <laughs> yeah, because somebody goes, wait a minute. I got one of those and I just bought it. Ooh. Yeah, and, and I also found that the industry itself is a little touchy. So if you you know you dog one, the rest of them will be mad at you too. Yeah, um, I also do a podcast called Gun and Gear Review on Firearms Radio Network. So if you want to hear my untarnished opinion on gear, yeah, you got to listen to that. And hey, listen, if you get hurt, you get hurt. <laughs> Your feelings get hurt. Your feelings get hurt. Make a better product. All right, tell me about this podcast again. What's the name of it? uh gun and gear review podcast it's on the firearms radio network uh you can find them on um what is it called oh firearmsradio.tv okay i'm also luckily uh on on with your friend uh <laughs> rob rob morris yep rob morris yes and i'm on the self-defense <clears throat> self-defense uh what is it oh my goodness i feel like such a dork right now <laughs> rob has uh self-defense gun stories podcast mm-hmm. rob rob has six or eight different actual uh, self-defense firearms instructors come on one per week we go over three stories of civilian self-defense use um very short it's, it's like for your ride to work it's like a 15 minute podcast and it, it's like three events done by civilians to protect themselves and their loved ones and we break it down what what they did right, what they did wrong, and how you can you know keep yourself and your family safe. And it's real short, to the point, and just a fun lesson. All right, cool, man. I have to remember to look for that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I expect to see you on there one day. If I got stop podcasting, I got three now, so I'm kind of busy. <laughs> I see you. I like the picture. Uh, well, I follow you on Instagram, also. I don't know if you know that. Um, but yeah, I see your pictures of, uh, of you uh, fishing sometimes yep. or <laughs> smoking cigars, which I really tried to do and I didn't understand. <laughs> oh man, it's, the secret is uh, it's like the fortress of solitude. Most people go, that stuff stinks. So they stay away. It's like bug spray. So, <laughs> and you can't really type and you don't want to put ashes on your keyboard. So it keeps me from doing anything electronic. And uh, nice. chase away mosquitoes and spouses, everything. It works pretty good. <laughs> um, what, years ago, uh, I, I smoked cigarettes and I wanted to wean myself off. And I always loved the smell of tobacco, you know, mm. the 
So I was going to, and this is in the 90s, uh, smoke shops. You know, when they were oh, yeah. like uh, really nice places, really laid back, leather, wood, smell mm-hmm. of tobacco. And I was just so totally ignorant on everything. I'm like, I, I'm out of my depth, depth. So I tried a few times and then I was like, you know what? This isn't for me. And I'll just quit smoking. So I did just stopped it all. Oh, that's a good thing. Yeah. Now I picked up a much more expensive habit. Second Amendment causes and, and firearms. I know, right? <laughs> Bullets ain't cheap. Bullets are not cheap, especially when you're allowing people to shoot for free. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, can I uh, talk about Simon Says Train? Please do. Simon Says Train is actually my training business. I'm an NRA certified instructor and also NRA uh, range safety officer. But um, you can just come and check it out at Simon Says Train on Facebook. No reason to keep pushing that. It's just we have some pretty cool classes. Even coming up first Sunday in April, I'm teaching um, a home hardening class. My regular job, I've been a locksmith since 1993. And this whole class is set up to teach you how to improve the security of your home really has very little to do with firearms. I mean, I'm going to touch on the subject of, you know, safe storage of your firearms and whatnot. But other than that, this is just a uh, class on how to improve the home security. Nice. Yeah, we all have to do something. I work for the state, man. I have to make sure I have a job after my job. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Yeah. Pensions sound cute at the beginning of your career. Until at the end when they go, yeah, we changed our mind. Yeah, your percentage is going to be 10% less. Can you figure out how to live on half of your income? Yeah. Believe me, I understand. But this is the reality we live in. This is, this is America. It's America, and you can choose your own way. That's right. Till you die. <laughs> hey, listen, nobody's getting, <laughs> out of this. nobody's getting out of this alive, so you might as well make the best of it. I know, right? All right, Simon Says Train, DiversityShoot.com. Mr. Tony Simon, man, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, I'll be following you from now on. Thanks. It's really been a pleasure being on your show. Actually, it's been an honor being on your show. Thanks for giving me a call. And we're going to hook up so I can see if I can help you um, do some other stuff, too. That'll work. Hopefully, I can see you at NRA if you're down there this year. All right. I will talk to you soon, my man. All right. Thanks for being on the show. All right, Ken. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. The old links for the 10th Cavalry Gun Club. It was called the 10th Cavalry Gun Club, Inc. of Newton, New Jersey, and the 10th Cavalry Gun Club.org. It was the ANJRPC.org. DiversityShoot.com. The second is for everyone. That was my friend and brother, Tony Simon. Next up is my friend and brother, Michael J. Woodland of m-wtactical.com. Talked about communication. Sometimes you can get your wires crossed even when you're doing the best you can do. Michael, tell them how I screwed you. Oh, that didn't sound good, did he? Thank you, Ken, and welcome to another Tips and Review segment. I am Michael Woodland of m-wtactical.com, and today we're going to discuss an armorous course I got to attend. months ago, Ken asked me if I'll be interested in attending an armors course in California. Why not? Pass on a trip that could be a great opportunity for some great training and possibly visit some family out in the Golden State? 
So I sat and waited and continued doing my normal routine. Then one day I got an email talking about the course. Automatically, I was pumped and I was a bit confused on the wording and what I thought was to happen. The Armors course is a video series offered by AGI, the American Gunsmithing Institute, on various firearms that will guide you in cleaning, disassembly, and assembly, and the functionality of the selected firearm. So, upon calling and talking with Winston Bell of Laura Burgess Marketing, there were a number of selections to attain the title of Gunsmith from the self-paced video instruction series. While talking with Benston, he was just rattling off all the parts of the course, and I was blown away. So, instead of having him continued, we narrowed it down to automatic rifles, semi-auto rifles, revolvers, and semi-auto handguns. I selected semi-auto handguns, and then the choices started going on for days again. After he went through a few, he asked if I wanted a Glock instruction video, in which I should have said yes, but I didn't because I don't own a Glock. As much as I did repairs and cleaning on my handguns, it would have been smart to go the Glock route to broaden my knowledge on a different brand of gun to be more helpful for those with whom I shoot with in competition and given instruction. My selection was that of the Smith & Wesson M&P series. The packaging of the DVD stated clearly what this video was for. The inside had material explaining if you were to dive into the gunsmithing program, you could be licensed in gunsmithing in about three to four months time in total. Not a bad trade-off for some extra cash tinkering around with something you love. The video was easy to follow, and the instructor of the video was obviously very educated with his knowledge of guns. The cons to this video that stood out to me were the video is dated and might turn some people off with the image of looking old and the video referring to VHS tapes. This might need to be updated, but you have to remember, you are seeking the knowledge of the course and not the fashion and flair of the video. The other thing that stood out with me, there could have been an introductory of tools that would be used for this specific firearm for you to follow along with. When I was watching the video, I was not participating in the steps that the instructor was doing since I was on par with the areas he was talking about with the firearm. But he did do a complete breakdown in which I did not feel comfortable doing without having all the necessary tools. So if you happen to get this video series to get your gunsmithing license, take the time to look up the necessary tools and sizes of punches to start your work on the said firearm in which you will be doing hands-on with. The pros of the video instruction was that it was very easy to comprehend and follow. It wasn't too fast, and there was time to talk about each piece upon disassembly. In the event that something did not make sense, I just hit rewind, went back, got clarity on what was being discussed. The most important part was, if there was something that did not make any sense, they have the contact information all over the video, the box that it came in. Since this was not a registered course for me to take through the company, I am sure there is a direct line for any assistance that would be needed for those who will be registered for this course. Just like everything else, there are pros and cons that come with anything we do. But 
In this case, the pros outweigh the cons. If you are looking to save money by doing your own repairs, helping a friend out with repairs, or looking to make some extra money on the side with your own little gunsmithing endeavor, this armor's course from AGI is the answer for you. Look up lauraburgess.com or americangunsmith.com for more information about the gunsmithing course that is offered. Please understand that any review that I do on products are truly my thoughts, whether positive or negative. The mentioned companies that are associated with this review or the black man with the gun staff has not presented me with any gifts or monetary bribe to sway the view of this product in any way. Tune in next week as we tackle another area of marksmanship for another tips and review segment. Thank you for all those who follow and support the M-W Tactical Facebook page. If you haven't done so, look us up on Facebook and hit the like button and join in on the many discussions that are taking place. If you are more into photos, follow me on Instagram at mjwoodland where you can get an up-close and personal involvement of my daily life and involvement at a gun range. If you would like to read more about us, do so by going to www.m-wtactical.com where you can easily connect with us on any of the previously mentioned social platforms while looking at pictures, viewing future classes, emailing us, or even listening to the current week of the Black Man with a Gun podcast. For those who want a more direct approach, just call us at 803-250-1256 and let's discuss whatever is on your mind from shooting classes or just inviting us out to come to your next upcoming event. Until next week. Keep shooting, keep practicing, and have fun. Back to you, Ken. Thanks, Brother Michael. All right, I think I kept you long, but hopefully I gave you something that you can keep. The biggest communication problem is that we do not listen to understand. We just listen to reply. If you're into fitness and you want to listen to something new that I'm working on, I have a new podcast called Warrior Cast. You can find it on iTunes now podcast.warriorcast.com and it's something new for me it's interesting I'm going to actually get fit after 50 doing it and I'm learning from martial artists and from fitness experts and some really good people it's called WarriorCast check it out if you get a chance just in case nobody has told you this today I love you there's not a darn thing you can do about it until next week this is your friend and your brother Ken Blanchard Shalom, baby. This show is part of the Gun Podcast Network.